The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born again when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not expect, accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may ha have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The Gospel of our Lord. Greetings, One Fellowship family and friends. Pastor Paul here, and I'm so excited to explore John 3 with you today. But before we begin, would you bow your heads with me as I share a brief word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come, Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we'll be looking at John chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. And the title of my message is Believe. I'd like to begin with this story. In his book, The Vision and the Vow, Pete Gregg tells of how a distinguished art critic was studying an exquisite painting by the Italian Renaissance master Filippo Lippi one day. He stood in London's National Gallery gazing at the 15th century depiction of Mary holding the infant Jesus on her lap, with Saints Dominique and Jerome kneeling by, but the painting troubled him. There could be no doubting Lippi's skill his use of color or composition. But the proportions of the picture were slightly wrong. The hills in the background seemed exaggerated as if they might topple out of the frame at any minute onto the gallery's polished floor. And the two kneeling saints just looked awkward and uncomfortable. Robert Cumming was not the first to criticize Leapy's work for its poor perspective. 
but he may well be the last to do so. Why? Because at that moment, he had a revelation. It suddenly occurred to him that the problem might be his. The painting he was analyzing so callously was not just another piece of religious art hanging in a gallery alongside other comparative works. No, it had never been intended to come anywhere near a gallery. Leapy's painting had been commissioned as an altarpiece intended to hang in a place of prayer. And so, self-consciously, the dignified art critic in the public gallery dropped to his knees before the painting. And suddenly, he saw what generations of art critics had missed. From his newfound position of humility, Robert Cumming found himself gazing up at a perfectly proportioned piece. The foreground had moved naturally to the background while the saints seemed settled. Their awkwardness, like the painting itself, had turned to grace. And as for Mary, she now looked intently and kindly directly at him as he knelt at her feet between saints Jerome and Dominique. It was not the perspective of the painting that had been wrong all these years. It was the perspective of the people looking at it. Robert Cumming on bended knee had found a beauty that Robert Cumming, the proud art critic, could not. You see, the picture only comes alive for those willing to look up at it rather than down at it. It only comes alive for those willing to approach it in a posture of humility. As I read this story, I could not help but see its parallel to our passage, where in the cover of night, one of the leaders of Jew, the Jewish elite, Nicodemus, makes his way to speak to Jesus. Where just like the art critic, Nicodemus comes face to face with the tough reality that his own pride and prejudice, prejudices might be getting in the way, getting in the way of him seeing the whole picture the real Jesus. So how are we to approach Jesus? What might get in our way? Better yet, what are we to take away when we finally do meet him? Let's dive into John 3 together. The big idea from our passage today is this. Only in a posture of humility can we receive the gift of Jesus who is the love of God for you and me. Only in a posture of humility can we receive the gift of God, who is the love of God for you and me. Point one, know your limits. Our passage begins. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who is a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. 
Friends, have you ever considered that how we approach others not only reveals how we see them, but how we see ourselves? Looking at our passage, Nicodemus approaches Jesus with an air of confidence and an air of reverence. First, his confidence. In that day, the confidence Nicodemus would have uh, displayed would have been well-deserved. We read that he was a Pharisee, meaning he was a very devout religious man, and he tried to follow the teachings of Yahweh to the letter of the law. Nicodemus was serious about his faith. Next, we read that Nicodemus was even a member of the Jewish ruling council, meaning he was a member of the Sanhedrin. Seventy men of that day that would oversee the Jewish people everywhere. Thus, he was not only serious, he was well-respected for his faith. And finally, in verse 10, we read he was Israel's teacher, meaning he was well-versed in his faith. So he was serious, respected, and well-versed. He didn't just live it, he taught it. So in our passage, we have this serious, respected, well-versed faith leader come to Jesus and say, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who's come from God. For no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. Enter the reverence. What Nicodemus is basically saying is this. Jesus, you're clearly a gifted teacher and God is with you. Tell us a bit more about you. Yet from his comments, um, it looks as though Nicodemus is not only complimenting Jesus, he's actually examining him, evaluating him, if you will. And we're led to ask, is he sizing Jesus up or is he just curious about Jesus's authority? Honestly, the text does not let us know. What it does let us know is that the approach of Nicodemus to both life and Jesus completely misses the mark. How so? Well, Jesus hits Nicodemus with this paradigm-breaking bombshell of a statement. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. And when Nicodemus goes on to push back, Jesus goes on to double down. We read, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. The Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. And we're left like Nicodemus going, uh, what? What, what did he say? Born, born again? You see, the point Jesus is making here is that no amount of right thinking, right acting, or right climbing in life will get us into a right relationship with God. It's only by the grace of God, by being, quote, born again, or literally born from above, that we will find lasting peace and hope. This is what Jesus was saying. But Jesus, I'm a serious, formal faith leader, Nicodemus might have thought. To which Jesus replies, you must be born again. But Jesus, I've, I've been going to church since I was a, a little toddler, we might say with pride. To which Jesus would say, 
You must be born again. But Jesus, I'm, I'm nothing like those wackos we're seeing on TV, to which Jesus would reply, you must be born again. But Jesus, seriously, I'm a, I'm a good gal. Compare me to my neighbors or my ex or those people, those extended people in my family. And Jesus says, you too must be born again. Jesus then goes on to explain what he means by this concept as he talks to Nicodemus. He basically says, Nicodemus, you of all people should know this. You should know your limits, the limits of mankind. You should know that lasting goodness only comes by way of the grace of God, not man's might. And then to make his point, Jesus references being born of water in the spirit. And he's clearly pointing to prophecies of old in the Old Testament, such as Ezekiel chapter 36. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all of your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So in a nutshell, Jesus is saying to Nicodemus and us, before you know me, you must know you. You must know your limits. And you must know your need for God's grace. Do you? In the early 1900s, when the Times of London posed the question, what's wrong with the world? The Catholic thinker G.K. Chesterton reportedly wrote a very brief letter in response. Quote, Dear sirs, I am sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. Such is someone who understands the point Jesus was making to Nicodemus. Before we can evaluate Jesus, we must evaluate ourselves and know our limits and know our need for God's grace. And this leads me to point two. Believe in Jesus. I recently came across a silly story that just stuck with me that I'd like to share with you today. A young man in the Middle East was traveling along a road on his donkey when he came upon a small fuzzy object lying in the road. He dismounted to look more closely and found a sparrow lying on its back with its scrawny legs thrust skyward. At first he thought it was dead, but closer investigation proved the bird to be very much alive. And the man asked the sparrow if he was all right. And the sparrow replied, yes. And then the man asked, what are you doing lying on your back with your legs pointed towards the sky? And the sparrow responded that he had heard a rumor that the sky was falling. And so he was holding his legs up to support it. The man replied, you surely don't think you're going to hold it up with those two scrawny legs, do you? And the sparrow, after a very solemn look, retorted, one does the best he can. You see, sometimes when we come face to face with our limits, or even the limits of the world, we just resort to doing what we've always done. 
We just try to do it better or more. Do better, try harder, work more, work work less, feel more, fear less. We're hoping to come up with some type of mathematical equation or formula for our souls that will eliminate all of our existential angst. To break free from the prison of expectations we've created for ourselves and for others. Yet what if the solution to our problems is not found in us, but beyond us? Let me explain. Imagine you are a young parent and your baby spikes a fever, a very high fever. Being the good parent that you are at first, you try to do everything to bring down the fever at home. You give your child the children's Tylenol. You run the cool little bath. You might sing sweet little songs and pray fervent prayers. And yet nothing seems to work. What would you do? I'd imagine you'd reach out for help. You'd reach out to your pediatrician or some other medical professional, wouldn't you? You would do whatever it took to get your baby better. Well, that's the picture Jesus paints for Nicodemus. In yet another bombshell, Jesus tells Nicodemus this game-changing news. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. (sighs) To fully understand Jesus' words, we must understand two more Old Testament references. First, Jesus points to a story of when the people of Israel rebelled against God in the wilderness, were punished, and then rescued Listen to these words from Numbers chapter 21. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people. Many of the people of Israel died And the people came to Moses and said, we've sinned. We have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And so Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. And so Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a certain serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Quite a story. Jesus then references a phrase from another part of the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, where the people of Israel were given a promise that one day a suffering servant would be lifted up just like the staff or the pole of Moses to take away their suffering and their sin. So stick with me. In light of these Old Testament references, the bombshell Jesus shares with Nicodemus is this. All the promises 
of hope and healing in the ancient scriptures, they all point to me. I am the man. I am the plan. I am the gift of God expressing the love of God to all who will believe. Wow. Do you realize what Jesus is saying? Do you realize what Jesus is offering? Do you realize what Jesus represents for you and me? Listen to these words again. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What Jesus is saying is, in me, you will find the fullness of God's love. In me, you will find the fullness of God's healing. In me, you will find the fullness of God's hope. In me, you will find the fullness of God's forgiveness. Believe in me, Jesus says, and you will find life everlasting. So as we close this time together, let me ask you, do you believe in him? Do you believe that God loves you so much that he gave his one and only son that if you believe in him, you shall not perish but have everlasting life? And have you come to a place in your life where you're aware of your limits? Aware of your need to find a solution to your existential questions and crises, not from within yourself, but beyond yourself. And are you willing, are you willing to drop to your knees like the art critic in the gallery in a posture of humility in order to see things all, excuse me, in order to see things in all of life in the proper perspective? Friends, only in a posture of humility can we receive the gift of Jesus, who is the love of God for you and me. Please pray with me to receive the gift of Jesus today. Dear Heavenly Father, we rejoice in this popular and powerful passage where we learn that you sent your Son to be lifted up for our sins, our sorrow, our suffering. We believe. We believe. In a posture of humility with all that we are. We believe. In Jesus' name.